Today we are reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. That is why you must bring every bit of energy you have to bear on the task of supplementing your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patience, and patience with godliness, and godliness with family affection, and, with, and family affection with love, agape. If you have these things in plenty, you see, they will ensure that you are not wasting your time bearing no fruit in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Dave. It's good. It's good. It's good. And it's good to be with you this morning. Um, we had a good week. We had a good week. We had people in the building. We had a ragbri crew in the building. The church was full of bikes, which is how I wish the sanctuary, the church was every Sunday. So if you want to ride your bike to church next week, I would more than approve of that. Uh, I rode a day of Ragbri on Thursday, and it was 77 and 100% humidity when I set off at 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, which worked out well because I made it, apparently. And my wife was there, and then she took me to Chipotle, and it was a really good day. So, uh, so this was a good week all in all. Um, but uh, if you, if you turn to the passage of Scripture that Dave, it's on, your, it's on the back of your bulletin that Dave had from Second Peter, we intentionally put a translation of this passage uh, up there. That's a translation uh, by the scholar N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright translated the New Testament. Uh, you can go by that if you want, his translation of the New Testament. But I thought it was really lovely and brought out this one kind of true biblical idea. And that is that Jesus' desire is that you and I would be fruitful, that we would be fruitful, right? I love this image of fruitfulness, and I think this image of fruitfulness is really powerful for us, specifically for us in our kind of modern American context, because this image of fruitfulness is devoid of the kind of striving, try-hard, self-help mentality that we see all over the internet in American culture these days. Are any of you familiar with Tim Ferriss? Do you know that name, Tim Ferriss? He's kind of one of those online self-help gurus. Um, more power to him, but uh, he has written books like The 10-Hour Work Week. That would be nice, wouldn't it, to work for 10 hours a week? Uh, and his whole thing is human optimization, right? He wants to figure out the keys to get humans operating at their apex or at their most optimal. Uh, and basically, the idea is that he wants to help you get your life as optimized as possible so that you can live the life that you've always wanted. And uh, the way you get that, the way you get that optimization is by, first and foremost, following him, Right? by doing what he says, buying his books and going to his probably very expensive conferences. Now, there are a ton of these type of men and women on the internet and in the world, and what they promise is that they're going to be your guides on a path towards, I don't know, maybe human perfection is what they're after, right? Which is a very technical way of promising that they can make your life perfect, right? this idea of human optimization. And I just want to say up front, uh, that way of thinking about the human life is not really true, all right? It's not accurate. 
And so many of us have been kind of burdened by the assumption that we have to live these optimized and perfect lives. And so we project pictures of how optimized and perfect our lives are. We assume that if we let anybody in to see how misshapen it actually is that they won't like us or think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And it all kind of bears on us, doesn't it? There's a kind of inherent weight to this understanding of our kind of self-help culture. But this idea that Peter talks about here in this passage, and the idea that we read all over Scripture of what it means to live a fruitful Christian life is, I think, different, substantially different than what it means to just optimize one's life. I actually think that this image of fruitfulness is devoid of the kind of try hard, fix yourself, make it all run, work 10 hours a week, right, and still make $300 million or whatever type of mentality. You see, from the very beginning of the story of the Bible, we see this promise or this encouragement that we are to be fruitful in our lives. What does God say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Now, that is a, uh, is, a, is a poetic way of saying do good stuff and have some kids, right? But like, the, in truth, there seems to be ingrained in the human life this inherent um, design feature that says we're called to be fruitful in this very specific way. You see, Jesus himself invites his apostles to be fruitful and us to be fruitful when he says, abide in me, be grafted into the grapevine of my life so that you can bear the type of fruit that I will bear, right? This is what Jesus says when he uses that analogy as well. And when the scriptures, and Jesus specifically, are promoting this picture. What they're not promoting is the fitter, happier, more productive life of American society. I just don't believe that they are. They are not encouraging us that it is uh, that to like have a, a just the perfect standard American life and have a perfectly healthy gut biome or something like that. I'm sure all you guys care about your gut health just as much as I do, but <laughs> okay, apparently not. Uh, what, what these writers of the scripture are arguing, what they're asking for is that, and what they're encouraging us towards is that it is possible, it is possible as we follow Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with our will and intention to see the life of heaven bubble up inside of our lives. To have the kingdom of God naturally grow up inside of us in ways that we never thought. This is very different from human optimization. Jesus was not endlessly happy, right? This was not who, how Jesus conducted his life. He was not endlessly happy. And I'm sure he got the rumblies in his tummy sometimes, right? He didn't have a perfect, he probably didn't have a perfect gut biome. The goal that Jesus lays out here and the goal that we see Peter lay out in this passage specifically is an invitation towards discipleship, of pursuing a way of life that makes us Christ's student and allows us to create space in our own lives for the kingdom of God to bubble up. In short, it's a way for us to be fruitful, for us to be fruitful. 
And thus to see our lives begin to produce in the ways that they were actually created to produce. Here's how the, New, the N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, again, talks about the biblical invitation to fruitfulness. He's here commenting on the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians. He says, these qualities, purity of heart, mercy, and so on, are not, so to speak, things you have to do to earn a reward or a, pay, or a payment, nor are they merely the rules of conduct laid down for new converts to follow, rules that some today might perceive as somewhat arbitrary. They are in themselves the signs of life, the language of life, the life of new creation, the life of new covenant, the life which Jesus came to bring. You see, fruitfulness is the life that Jesus came to bring us. When Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it to the full, he's inviting the people of God. He's inviting those who would come on the journey of pursuing him, of following him, of walking in his way to live a kind of new kind of life, a life that is full of good fruit. He's not inviting us to this way of life as a, re as a reward for good behavior or a payment for doing what is right, nor is he laying down rules for conduct. Rather, he is inviting us to show signs of the life of heaven and the love of God and to allow those realities to permeate our lives and to grow us into something that maybe we never thought we could be. You see, these were the lives we were created to live, fruitful lives. It's like... And the image that comes to my mind when I think of this, of this image of growing up or becoming fruitful, is like we were all created to wear this suit, but right now we're just like little kids playing dress up, and we have our dad's suit on, right? And we're in the closet, and what we need to do is kind of grow up into the, into the clothes that we were created to wear. This is the picture I think of, at least, when I think of what it means to be fruitful. Because sometimes... And this is always true. Spiritual growth or discipleship feels like a miracle, right? It feels like something we did not do on our own at all. And to a certain extent, it is. You see, you, don't, you and I don't become the people that God wants us to become. We don't, we don't step into fruitful lives as followers of Jesus all on our own. It's not anything that, that will alone can produce. And yet... And yet, there is a component of our will involved, isn't there? To simply say that it's something that just kind of happens to us, that we get struck by lightning when we say Jesus, like we're Shazam, and we said Shazam, and now we turn into a superhero or something, is not, I believe, what the story of the Bible is telling us. It is a miracle, but it is also a way of life that we are invited into. It is not a wholly secret or mysterious and this is what Peter says in our teaching text for today. He says, you must bring every bit of energy you have to bear on the task of supplementing, of adding to your faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control patience and patience with godliness and godliness with family affection and family affection with love or agape. So in Jesus, the first step is a miracle. It is his acceptance and forgiveness of us as his children. 
But the next step in this process is to cooperate with the first step that Jesus did by grace and to participate in this journey of what it means to follow Jesus, that we might bear fruit. And so what we learn from this passage of Scripture, maybe the first, you'll call it the first point of our sermon this morning, is that a fruitful life does not grow up automatically. It does not grow automatically. It is grown through supplementing our faith, or in the language, that's exactly the language, or adding to our faith by the development of what Peter here calls virtues. Now, in, in Peter's world, uh, this word virtue had some connotations with it. Virtue is an old word that has been kind of thrown around. It's not a word we're very common with now, but in Peter's day, this word virtue had, had its roots in, a philosophical, in the philosophical traditions of his day. Aristotle, if you've ever read Aristotle, uh, which I have not, so if you have, good on you. Um, but Aristotle, for instance, talks about the importance of the, the development of our virtue. And he lays out this long list uh, and, and waxes philosophical about the ways in which that virtue can be developed in an individual. But the list of virtues that Peter gives here, things like knowledge, self-control, patience, family affection, or mutual affection, and finally, agape, or what we often refer to here as self-giving love, are not things that are produced naturally, but are rather things that are grown or cultivated in concert with our will and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, we cannot become 100% the fruitful people that God wants us to be unless we set our will and our intention behind becoming followers of Jesus, of pursuing his way. This is why Peter says that there is some task of sub supplementing faith here, of encouraging faith, of adding to faith. You see, we talked about this a little last week, but the truth of the matter is, is that uh, our simple belief in Jesus is not what Jesus asks of us. And it's not that what Jesus asks his disciples to go and make. When Jesus speaks to his disciples, his disciples. He does not say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And discipleship has a component of the will involved. And so we must, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, pursue the way of Jesus in such a way that we involve our will in the process, that we actually set our minds and our hearts to following in the way of Jesus in a way that will, over time, produce a fruitful life. So that's one. The second thing from this passage that I think we can take is that being fruitful is not, a purely, is not purely spiritual. It's also bodily. Being fruitful is not purely spiritual. It's also bodily. It, requ it requires the engagement of our physical selves, of our actual bodies. You see, there's a heretical idea that's floated around the church really from the beginning of the church. And I use that term heresy literally. Uh, and this heresy is that we are purely spiritual beings and that the, the only real part of us, the only part of us that matters is our spirit and our bodies are of no value or no use. This heresy is, was, was, um, was kind of circled out by the early church fathers. It's called Gnosticism. 
And when you read 1 Corinthians 13, 14, and 15, this is the heresy that Paul is addressing specifically in that section of, of 1 Corinthians. There, the Gnostic, this Gnostic thinking had kind of wormed its way into the church, and Paul was attempting to help them realize that that was not the, not the truth. So, but this, you see this idea, this, uh, this Gnosticism, this idea that we are purely spiritual beings and that our physical realities don't matter. You see it pop up from time to time when, when Christians seem to believe that every problem they encounter is purely spiritual in nature. So, for instance, if you have a negative thought, well, that's the devil, right? And what you need to do is pray away that demon or that negative thought or something, and, and then it'll fix itself, right? It's this, or it's, uh, I've also seen it this way. I've seen, I've seen situations where, like, if my car isn't running, right, what I need to do is pray it away, right? As if that is the solution to a, a broken alternator. And while the, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about our broken car, I think it's a perfectly uh, suitable thing to do. And maybe God does a miracle in that moment. Uh, when we over-spiritualize in that way or we remove the, the, this notion of the, the physical reality of our lives, we, we, give into this, um, we give into this really what is a heresy called Gnosticism. And here is the thing. I do not want to deny the fact that there are spiritual things in this world. But notice how grounded and physical uh, Peter is talking about uh, these principles that Peter is talking about here to his audience. He's talking about knowledge, right? Our minds. He says our minds literally be, need to be renewed. He says we have to grow mentally, right? In order to grow, learn to be educated. He says self-control and patience. Self-control and patience are virtues that are seated in our bodies, right? They're, they're, it's about learning new habits or new structures. It's about not eating the entire bag of salt and vinegar chips, right? And this is embodied. I would love it if there was a demon of salt and vinegar chips and he could be cast out. But I don't think there is. I just really don't. I think it's, about, I think it's on me. I think it's on me. And so when we over-spiritualize in this way and we lose sight of the, the, the way that God wants to take hold of both our spirit and our natural selves, our created body. He wants to renew and restore us from the tips of our toes to the top of our head. And he wants our participation in this. You see, the development of virtues um, is often about the development of routines or patterns of discipleship that renew our minds and our hearts over time. And this is true in so many ways, right? And I'll give you an example of this from my own life. Several years ago, I was feeling like I had hit an emotional wall. And a lot of stuff had kind of stacked up on me. I found myself less able to deal with what uh, regular kind of emotional bumps that you hit in the road in this life. And I remember one time, not to mention the alternator again, but the alternator went out in our van. And this is a totally normal thing, right? We've all had alternators go out. And there's a very clear solution that has to occur when the alternator goes out. It's take it to the shop and pay money and get it fixed, as painful as that is, right? But I found that I was not handling the stress of my broken car very well at all. 
In fact, what happened is I kind of shut down. I, I, I locked up emotionally. And I was having a hard time even making the simple decision of like taking the vehicle to the shop to get the alternator fixed. It was like the warning light came on in the car and in my own emotional life all at the same time, right? And what I found in that moment and what I continue to find on my journey as a follower of Jesus is that the solution to the emotional warning light I saw in my life was not simply to pray it away. Not, not only. Deci disciplines of prayer and silence and solitude played a significant role in helping me deal with that, right? I had, to, I had to up my game in those areas, as it were. But I also needed to address the fact, the fact that this problem was literally there. It did exist in my life. And it was spiritual, but it was also bodily. It, also had, it, was, it was also in the wiring of my brain. And so I needed to address it through seeking counseling, which I did, through changing some of my life, some of my patterns in life, taking more time for rest, taking more time uh, away from my phone. Surprise, surprise. Uh, through learning some of these new practices over time, it helped me to grow slightly, I'll admit, slightly more healthy. I had to grow to, I had to, and one, another thing I had to do here is grow in the knowledge of myself to really interrogate what, it, what, what I was feeling and the way I was responding to those feelings and then take steps to address that. Uh, but, and here's the thing, prayer was a vital component of how that shifted in my life, but it was not the only thing. It was going to be a combination of healthy rhythms of Christian discipleship along with prayer, along with scripture that transformed my mind and made me a little bit healthier. And I feel like this is what is happening and this is what Paul is advising in Galatians 5, 24 through 26 when he says this in, in, in the book of, to the Galatian church. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since you live by the Spirit, let, uh, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other, right? So keep in step with the Spirit. Since the Spirit resides within you, now keep in step with it, as though there is a component of your will there that needs to keep in step with what the Spirit wills. Sometimes living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit is not just about the hyper-spiritual stuff, right? Sometimes it's about being immensely practical and about addressing both our bodies and our minds. Sometimes it's, uh, it's allowing uh, the doctor to set our broken bone, right? If our bone is broken. And here's the thing. Over-spiritualizing our issues sometimes is a really convenient way of avoiding addressing things in our lives that Jesus and the Holy Spirit want to address through, uh, through the regular patterns of our physical reality. And healthy spirituality and healthy Christian discipleship is a balance of both the physical and the spiritual in our lives. And this is why I think Peter gives this list of virtues that we need to add to our faith. Does this make sense? Are you with me? All right. So that's number two. A third thing from this passage of scripture this morning is that fruitfulness is a lifelong and often slower than we would like. 
right? Fruitfulness is lifelong and often slower than we would like. I think part of the reason the image of bearing fruit is such a prominent one in the scriptures is that it is not a quick process, is it? Sometimes it takes a while to be fruitful. We have a cherry tree in our backyard, and we've lived in this, uh, in this house for going on three years now. And for the first two years of our living in this house, this cherry tree uh, did not produce very good cherries at all. They're, the cherries that it produced were really anemic, and they were kind of shriveled. They were not the type of thing you would want to eat. But this year, all of the sudden, this tree was on fire with cherries, right? And I sent my kids out the back door, please collect all of the cherries. We don't want these to drop on the grass because they're acidic and it kills the grass and I really love my grass. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and we, there were so many cherries on this cherry tree that we were not actually able to collect them all. Uh, I didn't have a tall enough ladder nor would I want to send Elliot 15 feet in the air. So. So they all fell down, and now the grass is dead underneath the cherry tree. But the truth of the matter is, is that we know this, right, from, from the natural processes, that bearing fruit is not an immediate thing, is it? It's something that takes time. It's something that needs to be cultivated in our lives. And sometimes it feels like our life and our spiritual growth is just too darn slow, doesn't it? feels like that from time to time. Have you ever, if you ever had an anger issue or an addiction issue or a habit of heart that you just can't seem to dislodge in your life, and you think to yourself, gosh, I'm over this. I'm just over it. I'm never going to change. I'm never, this is never going to happen. God's never going to have his way, so why don't I just ditch it, right? But remember that fruitfulness is not a quick fix mentality, and I don't think God is necessarily a quick-fix God. Sometimes he does things quickly, but sometimes there's a, there is a longer process that God has in store for you and for me to develop virtue in our hearts, to develop kingdom practices in us over time. This is the same God that took the people of Israel into the wilderness for a number of years and just kind of walked them around, right? And around and around in order to develop in them a kind of virtue, right? A kind of a heart that was after him. And that didn't really pan out. But, but here's the thing. This is, God is a God of the long haul. And, and this is a God who longs to do a deep, rooted work in your life over time. And as we follow Jesus, what this God will do is work in us slowly. Sometimes it might be a season of tilling, right? And you feel like your heart is all torn up, and God might just be tilling your heart and preparing you for something new. Sometimes you might come into just like the season we're in now, right? The really hot middle of time where everything feels like it hasn't rained in a while and things feel a little dry and a little, a little shriveled. But there will be other times in our lives where we feel like, man, it is harvest time and the fruit is just there and it's good and we can see the faithfulness of God. And in all of those seasons, what is the responsibility of the follower of Jesus? To know and to have faith and to trust that through all of those seasons, God is at work. 
that he is having his work and that as we participate and follow him through that, not giving up, but actually working to add to our faith those virtues that Peter says in 1 Peter, we have faith that God is doing the work of bringing us into fruitfulness, of growing the kingdom of God in our hearts, of bringing us to a place of health and wholeness. I love this quote from Francis de Sales. He says this, he says, the ordinary perfection and healing, whether of the body or of the mind, takes place only little by little, by passing from one degree to another with labor and patience. The soul that rises from sin to devotion may be compared to the dawning of the day, which at its approach does not expel the darkness instantaneously, but little by little. You see, God has begun a work in your heart. If you're in this place and you're a follower of Jesus, the sun has begun to, has begun to shine on you. And the soul that God wants to cultivate in you, this deep soul of devotion and followership, of discipleship to Jesus, might not always feel like it's functioning how it should, right? But as we participate and as we follow Jesus, we find that in those places, God is working. And to be totally honest with you, some of us will have, we all start at different places in this journey, right? Some of us, each of us has our, as it were, our own cross to bear, our own wounds to address, our own trauma that we've experienced in our lives that we might have to deal with on this journey of being a follower of Jesus. And maybe it feels to you like that wound or that difficulty or that hurt just won't leave. It just is sticking around, and you're wondering, is God even at work in the midst of this thing? And I want to tell you definitively, Yes. Yes, he is. And he wants you to grow in the midst of that through into faithfulness and into fruitfulness. As you pursue him and his kingdom, as you live the Jesus way of life, and as you, as you live in step with the work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do in your life, as you engage both your will and your intention and your body and your spirit and your mind and your heart in the process of pursuing the way of Jesus, I am quite sure, I'm actually 100% sure, that Jesus is working in the midst of that thing, that he is. And you will see change come. You will see fruitfulness. It just might not be exactly on your timeline all the time. And over time, God's love and his power, and in even greater and greater amounts, kingdom life will begin to fill up those parts of you that you well, once felt were a hindrance. Areas of your life where you once felt unfruitful. Areas of your life where you just thought, gosh, this is never going to happen. If the band could come up. God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And as we follow him, he will transform the, the members of our body, the scriptures say, to become more like his body, the body of Jesus. God makes beautiful things spring up out of the craggy parts of our lives. If you know anybody like this, you, you know somebody who had, has, a particular, has had a particularly craggy story, right? The, 
the a story where the uh, that was particularly difficult. And you've seen over time the way in which God has transformed their inner being and brought them to a place of fruitfulness, not perfection, right? The perfection is just not a, the sight of the resurrection is not a goal that any of us should hold for ourselves, all right? But fruitfulness, fruitfulness is a different thing. God doesn't call you to be perfect. God calls you to be fruitful. And he calls you to, by following him in line and in step with the Holy Spirit, to walk out what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to pursue his way. And this morning, I believe that it's quite possible that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you an area where God would like to turn a desert into a garden. Right? A dry place where God might want to bring about a, f a kind of fruitfulness that you never thought was possible. You see, God is faithful. And if there's a broken thing in you, he wants to heal it, right? And he wants to heal it in cooperation with you. This is the nature of God. He's a cooperative God. So he wants your participation. And so this morning, just in an attitude of prayer, I think it's quite possible that God is pointing out to some of us that thing that he wants to transform in us, that thing that he wants our cooperation to transform. He wants to order both our internal and our external lives, so the way we relate to ourselves and the way we relate to others. And maybe it's possible that this morning God has put his thumb on one of those things. And so just in an attitude of prayer in this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just ask the Father, would you point out to me an area in my life where you want to bring fruitfulness about? An area right now that feels dry, doesn't feel like it's very fruitful, but you want to bring fruitfulness in that place. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you've experienced. Maybe it's uh, a pattern of thought that you just can't seem to get over. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a, a habit or an addiction that just feels like it's, it's one, it's beat you. And God is just saying to you this morning, I, I want to bring fruitfulness out of that space. I want to bring fruitfulness out of that space. So just in the quietness of your heart, would you ask that question of God? We'll just take five seconds here. You can ask quietly. If you want to write that down and put it on a piece of paper and stick it in your pocket and take it with you, that'd be helpful. But let's just ask the Lord where he wants to bring fruitfulness about in our lives.
Father, would you have your way? Would you have your way? Would you have your way in our lives, O Lord? Would you help us, God, to participate with our will, with our body, with our emotions, with uh, our hearts, God, with everything that is in us, with what you want to do and accomplish in us? And I pray, above all, that you would make us a fruitful people for your kingdom. That we would be people that just are shot through with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and with joy and with peace and with patience and with self-control and with kindness. Would you make us that type of people in the world? And when people look at us and they say, why are those people so fruitful? We can say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus in his work. It's Jesus in his grace. It's Jesus in his teachings. It's Jesus in his way that has made us fruitful, that has made us fruitful. And so God, as we go from this place this morning, would you have your way? Would you help us to follow you from the core of our being? And would you help us to see? Would you help us to see what it is that you're doing in our midst? We love you, Jesus. Pray it all in that name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen and amen. Thanks for being here today. My encouragement to you, just before you get away, is uh, don't let this message sit, right? Actually be active in the pursuit of what it is that God spoke to you today. It's important that we engage the whole of our being in that process. All right? All right. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.